Hey, this weekend is the, uh, it's our last time talking about the Lord's Prayer together. So you saw that in kind of our music worship set, and, uh, and we're going to be going there again together right here. This, is, this has uh, been a great few weeks for us, talking about this most famous prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, which is essentially teaching us, this then is how you should pray. And uh, today we're talking about lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, or deliver us from evil. And when you think about this idea of temptation, uh, you might be like me. Maybe it's kind of those ideas of temptation that we grew up with, right? They're those, those typical evil things out there in the world. It's the don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, don't sleep around, don't have affairs, uh, don't eat too much chocolate, uh, you know, I mean, just the, the typical things when you think about temptation, those, those are real and those are legitimate. And temptation by its very nature is a luring in of something that has negative consequences for you, for me, for us. It's this, it's this kind of this, you know, whether you think the, the devil on this shoulder and the angel on this shoulder trying to get you to do the thing, eat more cookies, don't eat the cookies, say no, hold back, Right? We, it's, it's this luring of something that we know is not good for us. So if everything good comes from God, then the opposite of good is what temptation is about, that draw, that pull. Uh, my brother, when he was a kid, he, was, uh, he had this real, real weakness for animal cookies. You know the kind. I mean, I think that these things have been around for like 40 years. Uh, it's like the cookie that keeps on giving. Mother's has made billions off these little treats. And so I think Aaron was about five years old, and he just, he loved him some animal cookies. So he had like his fair share after dinner. I think mom gave him like six, you know, and he wanted more. And so mom and dad leave, they go to some meeting in the evening, and, and grandma is watching. I, I'm like... I don't know whether I'd be like 10, so I'm not quite at babysitting age yet, but grandma's here, and so she is watching us, and Aaron, five years old, sees the animal cookies up on top of the refrigerator, and so he, smart little kid, he goes and he pulls his stool that sits at kind of the bar of the kitchen, he drags it over in front of the refrigerator, climbs up on top of it, starts to reach for the animal cookies can't quite reach him. So one foot goes into the freezer handle. You see where this is going. And he puts pressure on that foot and he reaches for it. He has the cookies in his hand and starts to pull away and the door opens up. And he flies back, cookies everywhere. And he lands on the tile floor and shatters his elbow. So grandma now is grabbing all of us and running Aaron to the emergency room. He's got a scar about four inches long on his elbow because they had to reconstruct it. And so uh, temptation leaves scars. You know what I mean? I mean, <laughs> whether, it's, whether it's animal cookies or something else, uh, you got to watch out for this, for this temptation. But what I wanted to show you is that because of how we grow up in our culture and because of the things we typically think of being tempted by, uh, I think a lot of us can have a misunderstanding of temptation. I think maybe we think it's one thing and it is, uh, but I think it's something 
else too. And before I draw this, I want to, um, I want to t- talk about something that Jesus said. We, we, we have this tendency to think of the animal crackers as up on the fridge. It's this evil out there. It's this sin out there in the world. It's these evil people doing bad things. We stay away from those bad places, and that's fine. But when Jesus was here walking this earth, he had conversations with religious people, people that read their Bibles. They, it was the Torah back then, the first five books of the Bible. They were obsessed with it. They, they memorized it. They were all about it. They followed the religious protocol. They stayed away from these temptations. They, they pointed out the sins of other people. And they were good at kind of steering clear of those obvious sins. And one time, these religious leaders are criticizing Jesus because he and his disciples are eating food that they deemed unclean. And so Jesus responds to them, and he's, he's addressing their question of how, hey, you're, you're not following our laws of being clean. You're, you're not paying attention to this, to this evil. There's evil in, uh, in what you're doing, and, and your behavior is unclean. And so Jesus turns and he says to them, what comes out of a person, this is from Mark 7, what comes out of a person is what defiles them, not the food that goes in. But it's what comes out of a person that makes them unclean. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil comes. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, folly. All of these evils come from inside. From inside. And so you might be in a place where you're like, you know what, temptation, yeah, I, I'm sure I, I deal with that some, but you know, not like, not like them, not like those people. This is how I was. So I want you to see something here. You have this in your outline, but I wanted to draw it. I think of this pendulum a pendulum that kind of swings both ways, right? And we have on the one side, we have rebelliousness. Now, this is the obvious stuff. This is the slander, adultery. This is the eating too much cookies. This is the I don't care. I'm just going to do what I want to do. I don't care who sees, whatever. I, I, want, I want to get mine. The rebellious stuff. When we go, we just, we just want to party. We just want to drink. We just want to... We just want to have a, a good time. We just want to do what we want to do. And so those things, those are kind of the more obvious sins. You know what I mean? You follow me? That's the stuff that comes to our mind quickly when we think about temptation and the little devil trying to get us to do these things, these, these rebellious activities. But on the other side of this same pendulum are religious. Is a religiousness. Now, the religiousness is more secretive, Okay? The religiousness is, is the judgment. The religious person, like me, is the person that looks at the kid eating too much cookies and says, oh, I don't have a cookie issue. That guy's got the cookie issue, right? I'm not having affairs. That guy, he's got, he's got temptation issues. He has evil in him. And what we don't often realize is that the same tempter, the same evil one, is luring us on both sides of this equation. When I was in college, I went to uh, USC and I went to church up at Bel Air Press, and I was involved in the college ministry helping lead that there, but they had a college pastor. And the college pastor, when I was there, I think it was my junior or senior year, went through a divorce. 
And for me, how I had grown up, the high standards that I felt like I lived to, I had a real tough time with him getting divorced. And I judged him like crazy. I thought, you can't keep your marriage together, and you lead us, right? And so I took the things he said that year with a grain of salt because I felt like he had, he had wrecked his life. Who was he to teach us, right? I didn't know all the circumstances. I didn't know that it was his wife who opted out. I didn't, I didn't know the details, and maybe they don't even matter. I just judged him. I just listened to that lure of comparison and criticism and judgment, and I judged him. Fast forward about seven years later, and I go through a divorce. Now, I know what it's like to be on that side. And the, the verse that says, don't judge lest you be judged, I lived it. And I know when you have built this, this scaffolding, this this whole kind of religious structure around your life and you do all the right stuff and you resist the temptations and you don't go down these roads and you try to put up this image and then that whole thing cracks and breaks down in some failure or perceived failure. You know what happens? There's a temptation to say, there's a whisper, a luring that says, you can't live this way. You can't do all, you can't be perfect. You can't live this moral life. Forget about it. Just do what you want to do, right? You know the people. Where life breaks down, there's some big disappointment. I was trying to do good, and I was trying to live perfect, and I can't. I can't be perfect. I'm continually tempted. I'm continually drawn. As the song says, my heart is prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love, so forget about it. I'm just going to live the way I want. You know someone who's there right now? That's our nature. That's how we're wired. And so we can be drawn into evil on both sides, and both sides can lure us. Both sides can draw us in. We're going to look uh, at a story about temptation to take a couple of little, couple of little action steps, things that, we can, things that we can learn. How would God want us to respond with the reality that this is true? So we're going to be in Genesis chapter 39, the story of Joseph. If you know anything about Joseph, you know that this was the dude who had a bunch of brothers and they hated his guts and they ended up selling him into slavery. He was the second youngest kid and, he, you know, the, have you seen the play Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat? He had his father's favor. The older brothers re resented him for it and so they threw him in a well or in a ditch and then they sold him into slavery. So he ends up being sold in Egypt and he works for this guy named Potiphar, okay? He has a job working for one of the officials in Pharaoh's kingdom in Egypt. And this is where we pick up the story. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials and the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. For the time, from the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. 
The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field, so that Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. So Joseph has found favor, right? I mean, it was a rough stretch for a while, being totally abandoned by your own family, rejected by the ones that are supposed to look out for you, and sold into slavery. I can't even comprehend that kind of betrayal. I mean, if you think about the actual human elements and emotions, fears, concerns that went into that, and he finds himself in this foreign land being sold as a slave, and he just shows up, he gets purchased by this person, and God gives him favor. And everything his hands touch, everything he oversees goes well, for his boss, okay? His boss notices, Joseph notices too, and his boss has a wife, and she notices as well. And here's where the, the story takes an interesting turn. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome. Nice detail. Imagine whatever you see, right, when you see a good-looking Joseph. He was well-built and handsome, and after a while, his master's wife took a notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, get this, with me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? His argument is, see how your master, how your husband and my master trusts me. See how I've found favor here. You see this logical argument of see how all this stuff works and I have been trusted in, and all this has been trusted into my care, Right? And then his point is, how can I sin against God? Friends, you don't hear this a lot. There's, there's, when, when we struggle with temptation, and I know, I know many of us in this room are battling addictions even right now, and I, and I get it. And there's, and there's all kinds of great steps, groups, accountability, awesome, awesome, right. But I think that there is one hidden secret to understanding temptation that we don't talk about very much, that we don't think about very much, and we see it right here, and I have lived the evidence of this, that if you want help overcoming temptation, it starts with gratitude. It starts with gratitude toward God. It starts with recognizing that every good thing you have comes from him. That any favor you have found is a gift from God. That the position you have been placed in was God putting you there. That if you have been trusted with anything, whether it's much or whether it's little, it's God trusting you. And if you start from that place, looking around you and saying, whether I have a little or I have a lot, this is from God, temptation gets a whole lot easier. Now, now you might be where Joseph had been in that kind of slavery period where you feel like everything has been stripped from you. I had that season myself. I will tell you that oftentimes those seasons come upon us because of ingratitude, right? Because we want more, because we take too much, because we don't appreciate what we have and it gets taken from us, then we get it. If you are wrestling with temptation, 
Do the things that you're doing. Get in the groups. Have the accountability. Make the phone. All that stuff is great. And, and, I would wake up every day and write down things that you are thankful for. Because one of the secrets, when that lure comes, when that pull comes, no matter which side you find yourself on, whether it's outward, more obvious sins, or whether it's inside criticism, comparison, judgment, and pride, those whispers, those pulls, those lulls will come. And if you are a grateful person and think, How could, why would I do this? Look what God has done for me. You will find it's easier to do the right thing when you are grateful for what you have and for God's faithfulness to you. Look at James 1, 17. It says, every good and perfect gift comes from God. Joseph was a grateful man. And in spite of all the pain that he had been through, he focused on what God was doing. He found favor in God's eyes. And so he said, how could I do this? Let's pick up the story again. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, so this is relentless, he refused to go to bed with her or even to be with her. One day, he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him by the cloak. This woman doesn't get it. She, is, she keeps coming back, and this time physically catches him by his outer robe, his cloak, and says, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. Okay? Starting with cultivating that heart of gratitude, the next simple, obvious step when faced with temptation is run, right? Don't have a conversation and like debate with her. Well, I mean, if we, if we did this, you know, I mean, it would have to be really discreet. Don't, don't even flirt with it. Don't stay in the moment. Don't weigh the pros and cons. Don't try to outthink the devil on your shoulder, right? Don't try to twist his words and wonder and go back and forth. You know what? If, don't even try to recall scripture that you are pretty sure you memorized that will be helpful in that situation, which is great. Just run, just get the heck out of there. Just turn and go in the opposite direction. Just move. Just avoid the situation. Just let her have the cloak, and you can get another one. Just get out. Just get out. And that's what we do. Now, this story, uh, sadly, it didn't go well for Joseph. Even though he did the right thing, even though he had a heart of gratitude, and even though he ran, she framed him. She framed him. She said, look, this guy tried to make sport of us. He tried to push himself on me and held his cloak out to her husband and the, and the other guards and said, go, go get this guy. And so Joseph got thrown into prison as a result. And you know what he did? He stayed grateful even in prison. The, the life of Joseph is unbelievable. The guy just stayed true throughout. Throughout. Now, let's just consider that story for a second. Just so, so I want this to like be etched in our minds because I think that the, the, the rebellious type person in that situation, he's, he or she is seeking out the opportunity, right? He or she is looking at this thing like, man, well, she is good looking. I'm going to try to be in just the right place at the right time. I know the schedule of when the servants are outside, and I'm going to look for those opportunities when we're alone, okay? That's that rebellious heart. That's that heart that's looking for it. 
The religious heart that Joseph also did not have was to say, you know what? Where is this master anyway? He doesn't even take care of her, right? I, I have been so faithful, so good. I, I keep this stuff in order. I mean, I could just, we're not, we're not going to have sex, but I could, I, you know, I can flirt. I can do whatever. I'm entitled to this. He doesn't even take care of his own wife. He doesn't deserve her. Or, hey, she's the one initiating. She had it coming, right? Those are the kind of thoughts of that religious type person. Those are the ways that the enemy of God lures you and me. It's not always the big grandiose sins. It's those little steps of compromise that we don't even realize because of pride, because of arrogance, because of comparison, because of entitlement, because we think that we deserve something. Friends, just because we enter into this relationship of God does not mean that the enemy stops luring, stops tempting. The Bible says that our enemy prowls around like a lion waiting to devour us. He is always there trying to pull us in one of these directions. You will find if you kind of search your soul right now, you know that your default is probably to get pulled in one of these two ways. And all the time he's whispering, all the time he's pulling, and all the time he's, he's leveraging the evil that is in us. Not out there that we have to just avoid and think this. It's in here. We have to be real about it. And we will fall, and we will sin, and we will stumble, and that is real. But just like, just like when we run from the temptation, you know what the word repent literally means? The word repent, like turn and repent from your sins, it literally means to turn around and go in the other direction. So our hope is, despite this, despite this reality, despite this draw, despite the fact that we will make the wrong choice at times, we still turn and run. We still turn from that opportunity, that sin, and we go in the other direction. And I know, I know, I know that some of you in here need a turn today. There is, a, there is a turning that God is whispering to you about and saying, I don't want you to dabble over here anymore. Just run from this thing. You're playing with fire. You're going to get burned. Turn and run. Don't think that you're too good for this. Don't think that you're not like those guys who make those big errors. You are. And it can happen to anybody. We're all the same. The enemy will work at us in one direction or another. We're all the same. We are all vulnerable. And fortunately, we all have access to this redeeming Jesus, this redeeming God. I want us to look at one more verse, a couple of verses in Hebrews chapter 2. This is the gospel in a in a nutshell, okay? This is the, this is, when you hear people talk about the gospel, you can summarize it and keep it really short and sweet and very simple. Jesus is God who came in skin. And then let's read this. For this reason, he had to be made like them, like us. Fully human in every way, in order that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest to service and service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered 
when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. We have a God who came in flesh, in skin, who walked this earth, who knows everything. There is no sin that's a surprise to him. He's been tempted by it all. He lived this life too. He's the only perfect one. You don't have to be perfect. You're not going to be perfect. I am not going to be perfect. I've made plenty of mistakes. I've fallen so many times, and I will continue to fall. But we have this hope in Jesus Christ who died once and for all, as we talked about last week, Forgive us our sins, God, as we are forgiving others. Once we say, once we say, God, we trust you, forgive me my sins, it is done. That's what he did. This is, this is, our, this is our new reality. If we own the fact that we are prone to this, this is how God sees us now because of this. There is this, there is this place in the middle. There is this place that's entirely other. It's not here. It's not there. It's this place between where Jesus says it's all forgiven. It's all forgiven. That's what that word atone for means. It has been paid for. You are forgiven no matter what you have done, no matter what heinous, rebellious thing that you've done, or no matter how hardened your heart has been toward others, you are forgiven. That is the gospel of Jesus that he came and died and lived like us and lived perfect because we can't. And because of that, we are forgiven of our past sins, today's sins, and sins forever. That is why we celebrate Jesus. That is why we do what we do. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lead us not. Do you realize that we're in this thing together? That Jesus taught us to pray collectively. That we're all the same. And that we need one another in this journey, in this life. We can't do it alone. When he says, lead us not into temptation, that's a reminder that we pursue this God and this life that he has for us together in community, not isolated, not on our own, not with all this guilt and shame piled up, not wondering if we can even make it another day. We, we, do, it, we do it together. That's why we talk about rooted in life groups, because we, it can't just be Sunday for us. We do life in the context of community. That's, that's how we do this. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And we will support each other and hold each other up as we go. And so I want to do this as we close. Would you just stand where you're at? We're going to put this, this Lord's Prayer on the screen and we're going to say it out loud together. You ready? You got to get your voice ready? Yeah. All right. This then, with me now, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Keep standing. Let's, let's sing together. Let's worship this God together. All right? Mm-hmm.